Pray with me. Father God, uh, we come to you in Jesus' name. The name that has been given to us, the name that is above all names, the name at which one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Father, this morning I do not have enough eloquence or persuasiveness to convince this people that you are good and you are glorious. I don't have a good enough illustration or life example. God, I have none of that. And I come, God, with your story and the story of your son. And I ask you to use it in our lives as we gaze upon Jesus Christ crucified. God, will you change us? Will you move by your Spirit in our midst right now? God, we invite you to come and do something that no preacher can do, no biblical teacher, no theologian, no pastor. God, only by your Spirit can you show how gloriously wonderful and beautiful and majestic you are. I can't do that, God. We can't muster that on our own. We need you to reveal yourself to us this morning. God, we sit at your feet and we invite you to teach us and to allow us to marvel at how great you are and how good you are. God, help us to see you. Help us to know you. Help us to believe in you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been preaching through the Gospel of John, and the first part of this Gospel trek, uh, way back when, part one was entitled, The Word Became Flesh and Moved into the Neighborhood. Jesus Christ, born of a woman, came to earth. God came to earth moved into our neighborhood, moved into our world. Part two was entitled, Who do you say that I am? Meeting Jesus Christ through his signs and ministry. We did. We looked at Jesus' life countless times, different teachings, different miracles, different ministries that he did. We've come to the final part, part three, that we've titled Glory and Suffering, Jesus Christ's Procession to the Cross. And we've been outlining all the events that kind of led up to this moment, to today. We're no longer looking at the procession. We're looking at Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus Christ crucified. We have the opportunity. This is, this is such an unbelievable moment. I, it's so cool because I saw people come in here this morning that I haven't seen in like months and years and stuff. It's incredible. It's so exciting because this is an incredible moment you have this morning. You get to hear about the most important tragic, glorious, critical moment and event in all of human history. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, crucified. John, one of Jesus' twelve disciples, records the events this way. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place 
called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus has crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather the man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots, for it is to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, uh, this would be John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. They crucified him. Those three words do not begin to depict and illustrate and communicate what actually happened. The realities of crucifixion. Crucifixion was shameful. Shameful. It was held in public, in an open arena, in open areas. The text says that this happened near the city. A lot of people could read this sign that he was the king of the Jews because he was so near the city. Anyone could attend. You didn't need a ticket. Anyone could come in order to verbally abuse and ridicule those who were lifted up in their most vulnerable moment, for most of them, in their most shameful moment, people gathered to gawk and to watch them be killed. In Jesus' case, the chief priests, scribes, elders, random people passing by, the soldiers carrying out the crucifixion, even the two robbers alongside him, hurled insults, Many times those lifted up were stripped naked. The crucified had no way to retaliate, no way to cover themselves. From beginning to end, crucifixion was intended to disgrace and to shame those who were lifted up. Crucifixion was torturous. If the shame was enough, it was brutal. It was invented by the Persians around 500 B.C. And by the time the Romans were crucifying Jesus, they had perfected it to bring about the most pain, the most agony, the most suffering. 
the torture was so severe that Romans would not crucify other Romans. And only the most extreme cases of treason would that ever happen. It was too bad. They wouldn't do it to their own. Over the course of hours and sometimes even days, the crucified would no longer be able to pull themselves up to draw in another breath. Should it appear that they were dying too quickly, that the office, uh, that they were suffocating too quickly, they would give the crucified a seat or a block of wood under their feet in order to help them stay up, help them stay alive a little bit longer, to suffer a little bit more. The desire was a slow and painful death by asphyxiation. We get our English word excruciating from crucifixion. Excruciating actually means from the cross. It was shameful. It was torturous. But before Jesus ever saw the cross, before he was ever lifted up, he was scourged. This meant that Roman guards beat him severely using a whip that was embedded with pieces of bone and metal with each lashing. Bruised and tender skin was ripped open, ripped from his body. It says the crowds were astonished. His appearance was so marred, it was beyond human appearance. Blood flowed down. Then the soldiers of Pilate mocked Jesus. They stripped him of his blood-soaked clothes and dressed him in a purple robe. It was the color of royalty. Upon his head they pressed a crown made of thorns. They hit his head with a reed, driving the, driving the crown further upon his skull, puncturing, his, puncturing holes into his head. They cursed him, they spit on him. Blindfolding his eyes, they pummeled him with closed fists. Mockingly, they'd ask, which of us hit you? Prophesy, tell us that. Which of us hit you? He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And blood flowed down. When their self-righteousness had been satisfied, they stripped Jesus of his robe and led him away to be crucified. Jesus, bordering on the edge of physical shock, was unable to carry or even drag the nearly 100-pound cross. And when they finally reached Golgotha, Jesus was nailed to his cross. Blood flowed down. It was at this time that Jesus was lifted up from the earth, hung on a wooden cross to die. This was good. This was done to God.
I just cannot hear that and just go on with life. Go on preaching as if everything was normal because at that moment, that was the most abnormal thing that could ever happen. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, dying on a cross amongst criminals. The big question then becomes, why? Why the cross? Why was Jesus crucified? How could it be that some, listen to some of these verses, how could it be that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame? How could that be that for the joy, he went through all of this, scorning its shame, ridiculing the shame that was associated with the cross? How could it be? How could it be that although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, how could it be that it was the will of the Lord to crush him? And in John 10, 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Why the cross? Why did it happen? Biblical scholars, theologians agree Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross some 2,000 years ago. But debates continue to rage as to the significance of his death, the importance, the meaning. Why? Why the cross? I want to try and answer that question, why the cross with another? Uh, Why anything at all? Why anyone at all? Why are you here? Why am I here? What is this all about? Life. God. I want to answer that by saying God has an unwavering commitment to fill the earth with his glory. God is first and foremost about himself. That's what he wants shared. That's what he wants known this morning. Is that he is first and foremost about himself. His glory. His holiness. His righteousness. God has a supreme passion. An all-consuming passion. An unwavering commitment for his glory to be known for himself to be known. In Numbers 14, 21, it says, But truly as I live, listen to what God says, As I live, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That is his commitment. And we've been created in order to join him in that commitment. It says in Genesis 1, 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're created in the image of God to image him to others, to mimic and imitate so that the rest of the watching world can see God, can know his glory, can see how awesome he is. Put another way, our lives ought to be lived in gratitude and honor and worship and service and enjoyment of God. 
so that his glory might fill the earth. Now, if that had happened, okay, that we join God in his commitment to make himself known in our worship, in our service, in our enjoyment of him, in our praise of him, if we did that, there'd be no need for the cross. But what we learned last week from Peter's life and all our lives is that we have been completely faithless. If you remember Peter, last week we talked about him denying Christ, denying he had any relationship, anything to do with him. Slave girl comes up to me and says, I don't know that guy. And that's been our life as well. In our pride and sin, we have not been committed to his glory. But something else, whatever that something else might be, your glory, your friend's glory, your girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse's glory, a car's glory, you've been committed to something else. The Bible puts it this way, Romans 1, verses 21 to 25. For although they, or we, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We were created to glorify God, to honor Him, to praise Him. And instead of doing that, we make an exchange. And we worship and we serve and we honor and we glorify other things, lesser things, creatures, rather than God. Romans 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Listen to this. We have already charged that all... Everybody, whoever has ever been, who is now, whoever will be, everybody, all, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All of us have turned aside. Together, we become worthless. And just so it's clear, no one does good. No one does good in God's economy. Not even one. Jeremiah 2.13 For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed or carved out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Listen to the exchange again. Here we have God, the fountain of living water. He will continually just give and give and give and we can get absorbed in that. Live forever. Enjoy Him forever. Make much of Him. Glorify, honor His name. And instead, we come over here. We try and make these pots that can't even hold water. It's absurd. But that is the reality. That is the choice we have made. Listen to a quote from John Piper, a pastor just down the road. He says, The root of our sin problem is this. Our preferring our preference, our preferring the glory of created things 
over the glory of God. That's what I've just talked about in these verses. But listen to this. Such that we are blinded and insensible to the infinitely preferable glory of God. Do you hear that? God's glory. God's majesty. God's righteousness. Righteousness. God is infinitely preferable to everything else we choose to put life in. Whatever that thing is, name it. If it's not God, it's lesser. And what I've asked God as I've, as I've walked up to this talk and, and this sermon, as I've prayed about this, I cannot reveal that to you. If you and I, if we can't see that God is indispensable and He is so above and so great, I can't show that to you. Only God can reveal that to you, and I hope He has through His crucifixion this morning. God is infinitely preferable to whatever else. Listen to the results. Because, because we've made this exchange, because we've forsaken the, the fountain of living waters for these carved cisterns that are broken and can't hold water, because we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for something else, Listen to what the results of that, the implications for you and for me are. Our preference for whatever we want has resulted in us being declared an enemy of God. Do you realize that this morning? That you will never have peace. You will be without peace as long as you remain in the state. As a result of this constant preference for your own way, and not God, you have become far away from Him. You are dead in your sins. This problem that you have is called sin. Your constant preference to just get away from God and to do it your way has resulted not only in sin, but sin, the consequence of sin, the result of sin, the end of sin is death. You are dead in your sins. The Bible says we're, we're without hope. We're without God in the world. We are children not of God, but rather children of wrath. Haters of God. Inventors of evil. The Bible says we're heartless, faithless. So what's it all about? Why do I tell you that? You need to hear the bad news. You need to hear how bad it is. Before, you could, before you're ever ready to hear how good the good news is. That's how bad it is, folks. So what is it all about? Number one, God is about His glory. God is about His glory. He has created us to glorify Him. That's what He wants, okay? But as I just listed there, number two, we have failed in what we were created for, glorifying Him, which has reaped sin and death and that other laundry list there of consequences. So if you put those two together, if you have number one, which is God is about His glory. He is a righteous, holy God. And He's a passion for that. And He's not going to waver in His commitment to that. He's going to make that happen. That His holiness and His righteousness and His goodness and His mercy, He's going to make that known. 
It's going to happen. He has a commitment and he's going to fulfill it. He is faithful. Okay? That's number one. Number two is the fact that we have been completely faithless. Just the opposite of God. As Pastor Steve like said, we slap God in the face. We say, get lost. Like Peter. We don't know you. We don't give a rip about you. Get out of my life, of my world. I don't need you. I don't want you. And if you have number one, and you have number two, there has to be a number three. Something has to happen. Something's got to give. Because it can't forever stay like this. God's holiness and our unholiness, God's glory and us fighting for our glory, something's got to give. Something's got to happen. And we've often mentioned that if, if we were writing the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth, okay? Number three, people fall. Genesis 4 is we wipe them all out. If we were writing the Bible, Steve and I have said, that's what would happen. Don't dishonor me. Don't try and steal my glory. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. He comes up with an unbelievable number three. In his great wisdom and love and power and mercy and justice, he makes number three the cross of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. The crucifixion of Jesus accounts for number one and number two. This is huge. This is unbelievable. This is the best news ever delivered. Is that somehow, some way, God in his infinite wisdom can come up with a situation that takes care of number one and number two. Let's talk about that. How does the cross of Jesus take care of number one? Listen to this verse in Isaiah 43, 25. God says, I, I am he who wipes out your transgression for my own sake. God says that. I did this for my own sake. I did this for my glory, for my righteousness, for my holiness. Deserves it and demands it. We're not talking about you. The great good news of the cross is it's not about you. It's about God. He says, I did this. This whole forgiveness of sin, trespasses not counted against you, Jesus going to the cross, I did that for my sake, for my glory. What do I mean by that? Many people will say, the cross demonstrates how much God loves you. And they make that the number one thing that they're going to say about the cross. Is that a demonstration of love? Yes. What we, need to, what we need to see this morning is that with the cross, God makes a huge statement. He says, my goodness and my glory and my righteousness and my holiness and me are of infinite worth and infinite value. And I have an infinite outrage against sin. And those who try and steal my glory. 
and those who forget about me and cast me aside. The cross is first and foremost about God. See, now I'm going to show people how gloriously holy and wonderful and righteous and beautiful I am. And how much wickedness and sin and evil are an abomination to me. I hate it. Look at how Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus Christ says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus Christ glorifying the Father in this act, being lifted up on a cross, being left to die, a tribute to God's glory, how good he is. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Huge word, okay? Huge word, propitiation. What does that mean? Jesus Christ absorbs wrath from God. Not only that, he diverts the wrath that was intended to be poured out upon you for all the evil and injustice and sin that you committed, Jesus Christ diverts that from you to himself. He absorbs it himself. And he's saying, that is, that is about God right there. That is about how awesome and graceful and merciful God is. And he's just. Look at Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ becomes a curse for us. God is completely just. When you have these two things, the glory of God, and over here, the faithlessness of the people, in, the, in Christ, through the crucifixion, God's able to reconcile them. Look how he does it. Look at, look at the benefits on our behalf, okay? Though we've been faithless and arrogant and proud, look what happens. Ephesians 2.4 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Does God love you? Does the cross show that God's love you? Heck yeah! But it's precisely because you guys were so unworthy of love. Because I was so unworthy of love. That's what makes God's love so different than any love that we could express on a human level. 1 Peter 3.18 Again, talking about what, what, what are the implications for you and I. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You can be united with Christ this morning. United to God this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? That's unbelievable. Despite whatever you've done prior to this day, that in Christ you can become the righteousness of God. That's what makes this story good news and glorious and unbelievable. Ephesians 1 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Romans 5 9, we have now been justified by his blood. Again, a big word, big concept. You're legal standing before God. Done away with. No longer will he hold offense against you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hebrews 2.9, but we, but we see him for, who, for a little while was, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, I can't even begin to scratch the surface of all the meaning and all the implications and the significance of the cross. I mean, it takes a moment to get up here and kind of share those verses, it takes a lifetime to enjoy and begin to understand. It takes a lifetime to behold God and to realize how great and glorious He is. The cross is a, I've heard it described this way, the cross is a multifaceted jewel. You could spend years looking at one facet, one part of why Jesus Christ died. Take years to do that. And then move on to the next facet. Spend time looking at how God's adopted you as a son or daughter into his family. It could take years to look at the history of adoption and what it means to be adopted in God's kingdom. It can take years to look at the facet that talks about God substituting himself so that you didn't have to hang on the cross, but he would hang on the cross. And he would receive the penalty instead of you receiving the penalty. It could take years to look at just that facet of the jewel. It could take years to look at the facet that talks about God being a ransom, giving his life as a ransom for many. Look at the next facet. Turn it over. See the next facet. The fact that we've been reconciled to God and that he's now given us the ministry of reconciliation to tell others about it. So why the cross? I already told you that when Jesus Christ was lifted up, hung on a cross to die, changed everything. So why is it? Why did he change everything? Why did he do it? He did it first and foremost for the glory of God. So you and I would see that beyond our preferences for lesser things, there's an infinitely preferable God who is just, who is merciful, who is loving, 
was altogether different and better than these lesser things. And in that, in Him showing off His glory and how great He is, He saves sinners. Mentioned it last week. John Newton, you are a great, great... I am a a great sinner. You are a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. My hope this morning is that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, in that you are able to see how infinitely preferable the glory of God is to anything or anyone else. What do you do? What is the response? What do you do with this? If any of you saw the Passion of the Christ uh, movie, coming out of the movie theater, there's just nothing to say. Any word that you try and say to comment about what you'd just seen, about what had just happened, about seeing Jesus on the cross. Just pointless. It's just fruitless. And that's a little bit how I feel this morning. It is incredible. Incredible. Takes my breath away. Blows my mind away. Opens up my heart to whole new levels. It's almost too hard to believe. But the call to us this morning is believe. Believe that there is meaning. There is a reason for it all. Believe that He is able to save and He will do it. If you invite Him this morning, right now, this place, you can invite Jesus Christ to save you to be joined with Him, to be united with Him. To not, when you're, when you're standing before God, to not be counted on your own righteousness, but to have the righteousness of God counted to your life. Instead of exchanging the glory of the immortal God for lesser things, this morning you can say, God, I want to exchange that back. I want to make... I want to change. I want to trade back. God says, I I give trade backs. Okay? You can trade back with God and say, God, I want to to exchange and I want the glory of the immortal God. Acts 4.12 says this amazing statement, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. This morning, this day, this moment, as I pray, I want to invite you. I want to make the offer to you for the first time, 50th time, 5,000th time. I want to make the offer to believe in Jesus Christ, to receive Him by faith, and to make the commitment to live for Him every day the rest of your life. No longer looking to your own preferences. Sacrificing those. Having those die with Christ so that you can live for God. Will you pray with me?
Father, right now, words seem hollow to express our gratitude and our thankfulness for the fact that you glorified your name in this way. God, to some this morning, that might seem like foolishness, absolute craziness. To them it might seem absurd. But to you, it reveals your power and your wisdom and your glory and your holiness. And it was by your plan. And so God, this morning all we say is, then glorify your name. Let the cross of Jesus Christ, the crucified Christ, let that image and that picture and that story be shared around the world. Let that good news be proclaimed. Glorify your name. Glorify your name through the cross of Jesus Christ. Make your name great. Let people hear of your infinite outrage towards sin and your abundant provision through Jesus Christ. Save sinners. Redeem people. Restore people. Make people new creations. Let them exchange the glory of mortal things and created things. Let them exchange that for the glory of the immortal God. Lift up your name. Make your name great. God, allow us to see this morning. And Father, I want to pray for some people who you might be tugging on their heartstrings this morning. Spirit, you might be revealing things and opening up their eyes and allowing them to see and maybe hear for the first time of the way they've offended you, become your enemy, become a child of wrath. God, maybe for the first time people are hearing how bad news how bad the bad news is. The offense of a holy God. And God, for the first time, they might be hearing the good news that there is a way to become a child of God, to have wrath diverted from them, to be redeemed and included in your family, to have fellowship and union with Christ. God, if you're doing that this morning, I want to ask you to give them the courage and the boldness and the faith and belief to know that you will never let them down. You have an unwavering commitment to make your glory known, to make your presence felt. And so God, would you do that? Would you give them the courage to say, yes, I believe and I receive this good news, this grace through faith. And God, for every last one of us, we would not look to ourselves. We would not make much of ourselves. We would not boast in ourselves. We would not have our eyes on ourselves. But we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And it says, in his name that we pray. Amen.